Would you stand with me as I read from God's Word, from Romans chapter 8. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we await for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, then we wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Dear God, we thank you for this gathering. We thank you for uh, the gift of your church with the, that meets the beauty of the earth, but also with a new beauty of the new creation. And we just pray that you would give us such an imagination for how you want your church to continue breaking in throughout Waco, throughout the world, and that you would give us the gifts that we need, that we require and that you would do the work of building up your church. We ask all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We can be seated. I'm going to sit down. I've got a script. You know, normally I don't like to, I don't like to be so scripted. But uh, since this is not a sermon, it's more of a talk, I guess I'll be a little more... Uh, well, it's, it's very important that I say the right things, and as we're looking for communication and clarity. So... Uh, thank you for being here tonight uh, to talk about this new venture that we're undertaking as a church. And I'm, I'm excited that you're all here. I'm excited that you're all here eagerly awaiting with expectation what's going to be revealed. Hey, I'm waiting too, okay? So I don't have the like curtain that I'm going to pull back. And uh, maybe I've got a little bit that I'm going to reveal and then we're going to find it out together. With eager expectation, what's going to be revealed next in the life of Christ's church. And that's the first thing I want to say. This is a development in the life of Christ's church, specifically Christ's church Waco. It's a natural outgrowth of the work that God has been doing and continues to do in that parish. What this is not and what it will never be is a rejection of that work. So even if differences can be discerned between what happens at 10th and Jefferson on a Sunday morning and what happens whenever and wherever this thing meets, it is a difference of unity and not of disunity. So we would say an orange is not separate from the tree that produces it, even if it is orange and the rest of the tree is green and brown. We recognize it as part of the tree, right? Now, whether what we are undertaking is best likened to that orange, which is meant to be plucked off or to fall to the ground so that more trees may grow or people be nourished, or instead it's a leaf upon an evergreen, well, that, uh, that remains attached forever. That's something that we're going to continue to discern. But it is no doubt this is something that grows out of Christ Church Waco. I just want to be very clear about that. So when you're asking who's ultimately in charge of this undertaking, well, I'm the point person, right? I'm here. I'm, I'm happy to lead. But Father Lee remains the rector. So ultimately, he's in charge. Or if you like it more accurately, Bishop Iker is in charge until Bishop Reed takes over. Um, or perhaps more accurately still, Jesus is in charge. And he's given the necessary amount of authority to his church to oversee the spheres of this new creation, which is now even at work in the old. So while I may seem to be fully in charge at times, I'm a man set under authority, and gladly so. Moreover, I will remain part of the clergy team at Christ Church at, throughout. So if any of us, including me, are here simply because we want out of Christ Church, because we simply want our way without Father Lee or the vestry or whoever being a part of the discussion, we should best pack it up. Uh, again, speaking to myself, though the worst impulses in myself, uh, you know, it's too easy to notice the problems of that which is, and it's even easier to think of the flawlessness of that which may be. So that is not what's happening here. So if 
any of us are here simply to try and inflict our vision of what the church can and should be upon the rest of us, then let's say it as bluntly as we can, uh, we don't want you on the team. Now, you can come, you can come and worship, but you're not going to be part of leadership. Uh, we're not here to work out our problems, right? I mean, you know, goodness help us if, if anything we do is trying to simply work out our problems that we had and it's with, you know, oh, I'm going to be a parent by simply doing the opposite of everything my parents did. Well, that's going to be problematic. You know, they might have had, they might have had some bad ideas and some good ideas. And so we best not throw everything out. So I wanted to have said that clearly. That's an, this is an effort of Christ Church. I think of it as, uh, it's somewhere now as somewhere between a church plant and a new service and or campus. I've trouble defining it, and I've let myself off the hook for this, because I think that we, particularly the American church, want things so clearly defined, and yet the church is alive. And like any living being, we can't get a sense of really how it all works unless we do what? Unless we kill it and chop it up. And since... The church, she is powered by the resurrection life of Jesus. It just isn't an option. She's too jumpy. We just can't knock her over the head and get her onto the table. So we can still know quite a great deal about the church, but we may not know everything about, oh, now I can define this part of it, and this is just like this. And then we think we've done something when we've written a definition, don't we? Uh, it's almost like we have academia looming over this entire town that we live in. As soon as we have defined something, we feel like we've done something about it, which is absolutely, actually the opposite of the case. And of course, you can only know so much about the frog when you cut it up, right? You can know, well, this vein goes there and there's the heart, but you don't know how its croak sounds. You don't know the way it jumps from lily pad to lily pad. And so the church, I would say, is more like the living frog that you just can't quite tamp down. So we cannot hope to dissect every bit of it and define it. So I'm no longer worried about wrangling together a definition. I've also remembered that categorizing only comes after creation. That's something I remembered recently. Adam does not name the animals until they're staring at him in the face, right? Because he doesn't actually know what it is until he sees it and says, ah, that's who you are, platypus. Now go over there and stand in line. So that said, I, of course, believe that a name will one day arise, that we will one day say, ah, this is what that is, this is where this belongs, parish, campus, Bible study, what have you. But the next faithful step, in my view, is beginning the work and not overanalyzing what it could or should be. So what should you tell people that you're doing uh, on what I think will be Sunday nights, starting what I think will be in January? Uh, you could say, I'm attending a service at Christ Church Waco. I'm attending a Bible study out of Christ Church Waco. You can say whatever you want. I mean, you've got to say something, right? You know, what are you doing Sunday? I can't tell you. Uh, <laughs> well, that, that won't do us any good. But you can say whatever you want. You know, it, it doesn't matter so much that we have the correct words. Uh, we are, you know, Father Jerry, I think, said this recently, and it's a really good reminder. We're in the disciple-making business, not the church-planning business. Now, churches clearly arise when you have so many disciples around and they need to be in the constant worship and, and the word together, well, then you say, well, you people just need to be a church. And, but the point is not to go about saying, let's go plant a bunch of churches. The point is to say, this is an invitation into discipleship. Which brings me to another point. Uh, like I said, I think, I think we'll meet on Sunday nights. I'm, I'm open to this changing at some point if discernment dictates. But from my experience and the wisdom of others, I think it's the wisest course. I'm thinking somewhere in the realm of 4.30 p.m. I hope this allows people who may be part of different churches to join us, but also students whose Sunday mornings are often an uphill battle after Saturday night. Uh, <laughs> Or anyone for that matter, you know. I, I'm, I'm chief among those people. I went to a church at night in college, and it was glorious. It was wonderful. You can still brunch and worship with the Lord, right? So this would also keep us clear of Christ Church Waco's normal morning services, and which would allow us for some growth there as well, which is really needed. I mean, I, if, if, you know, the 8 o'clock, we could still grow in there for sure. But, I mean, if you're in the 1030 services, you know that, it's getting a little tight in there. It's getting a little hairy. Uh, I'll still attend Christ Church on Sunday mornings with my family regardless of whatever comes, but I would hope that this would also eventually possibly free up some space in 
some of our services. So what are we going to be doing? What are we going to, what are we going to do here? Well, we're certainly going to worship. Uh, and we're going to worship in the beauty of holiness, right? We're going to worship, uh, we're going to worship God. We're going to worship God properly and fittingly. However, don't be surprised if it looks a little bit different from what happens in Christchurch on Sunday, on a Sunday morning. For one, the plan is not to meet in our building. And there are several reasons of this, one of which is my rector, the guy I mentioned, Father Lee, told me not to. He said, don't do it. And for good reason, I think. Partially so that those who may never darken the door of a hundred-year-old Lutheran church might venture to see what's going on in a different part of the city. Maybe more open to an invitation. Uh, well, I drove by, was it right over here? Is West, Wesley United Methodist Church? Was Anne, is, where is it? It's like, it's like right over here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I drove by that. Uh, we drove by last night, went to a restaurant over here, a new restaurant, and drove by Wesley United Methodist Church. My, my Nana was a United Methodist her entire life, and when she learned from her pastor that John Wesley had never given up his Anglican priesthood, she became okay with my ordination. <laughs> And for my part, I've always had a soft spot in my heart for the Methodist movement and consider it a necessary part of Anglicanism that we ought not to discard too lightly. Uh, One scholar I once read even considers the Methodists to be foundationally, at least in their beginning, like the Dominicans of Anglicanism. If you don't know who the Dominicans are, they're an order of preachers. They're the people who are meant to go out and spread the good news. Uh, They're not so much those who serve in the church, but those who go out to the highways and the hedges to bring the lost into the church's bosom. So John Wesley and his followers, they met in mining, then tents of mining towns, they met in metal working shops and a myriad of other locations. They preached where people already were, particularly the people who were not already in church. And that was not to the detriment of the life of the church, but for the sake of it. Indeed, of course, we know that St. Paul met wherever he could get a hearing. And of course, Jesus himself was just as likely to prefer a hillside as a synagogue to proclaim the gospel. So we're going into the city, not because Christ Church's building isn't close enough already, but because there are people there who need to hear the gospel. Where will we be meeting? Well, the plan right now, and this is not solidified, but is to uh, possibly meet in uh, Cultivate 712, which is right there on Austin Avenue, uh, assuming that they're still around for us to meet and we need to be continually praying for them uh, and also supporting them however we can. But why, why this place of all the places we can meet in Waco? Well, partially this comes from Father Lee again. Again, he's the leader here. He asked me to concentrate my efforts where I'd already been putting them, namely in the arts community in Waco. In fact, uh, I actually blessed Cultivate 712 space I guess about a year and a half ago at their one-year anniversary party. So it's almost, it almost seems potentially like God's already doing something there. So Father Lee said, go ahead and concentrate there where you've been putting you know, the work in. Why would I tell you, you know, oh, now you need to go plant a church in Hewitt when you've not been doing any work in Hewitt. You've not been doing any of that, but you've been doing this work here. So does that mean that this community is only for artists? No, 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 no. I recently heard this Leslie Newbigin quote, and it cut me to the quick. This is powerful stuff. He said, if the church is built on any profounder unity than that achieved on the cross, we are declaring that the principalities and powers still rule the world, and the church is powerless against them. It's tough stuff. That sends shivers down my spine. It's easy to fall into the trap of homogeneity, and I want to avoid it at all costs. So no. This is not a group or study or whatever just for artists, even if we do find artists in our midst. Or perhaps I'd qualify it this way. Artists are human. Perhaps sometimes we might say, especially so. But we humans, all humans, are also artists. Our language used to reflect this more accurately than it does now. We're all craftsmen. We're all culture makers. We're all creative, shaping and forming the world around us. We are all, in a way, also actors, are we not? Charged to imitate the creator himself by intoning his character, by enacting his virtues in every aspect of our lives. 
So no, one needn't list one's medium to become a member of whatever this is. But neither should you imagine you don't have a medium simply because you don't recognize it as such. In fact, God at one point in the, in the scripture calls us his workmanship, which is a bad translation. N.T. Wright always makes sure that uh, he tells people the Greek of this. God calls us his poema, his poems. It's his artwork. And so regardless of our careers or perceived vocations, it is the medium of our lives that matters the most and is not even ourselves that are working in it. It is God who's working in us. He is the artist working in our midst. And so I do want to spend time, what I want to spend time doing in whatever this venture is, is studying the Bible deeply and richly and I think that that's because that's something that we need. I mean, I do see at Christ Church all these people formed, often by good Baptists, <laughs> in, the, in the beauty and the necessity of understanding the scriptures. Now, we're filling in a gap that is also extremely necessary. Father Lee's, Father Lee's goal to catechize, to, to help people understand that this is the reality, this is the truth of what God has revealed to the church that we've been entrusted with, is extremely important. I think that's why we see so many people pouring in to Christ Church. So they say, whoa, whoa, it's not just I open my Bible and I get to decide what I believe about it this week. But I do think that there's, there's a necessary, there's a need to also say, hey, but we have to keep being formed in the scriptures in this story, and we have, to keep, we have to invite people into it who haven't had that formation that so many of us have had. So the first study I want to do, and it might last forever, I don't know how long this would take, but I want to go through the Bible. And when I say the Bible, I mean the Bible. I mean the thing. I mean this 66 books. We'll jump over the Apocrypha in case anyone gets scared. Uh, well, you never know. Uh, <laughs> But I want to talk about this really wonderful, scandalous idea, which, which I think is rooted in the Christian story, but I sort of missed growing up, which is that humanity itself is called to be priests of God's creation. Priests of God's creation. And we'll talk more about what that means, but the idea that God set Adam and Eve in the garden like he set a, a set of priests in the temple. And they were there for two reasons. One is to offer creation up to God in praise. But here's the other scandalous reason they were there, to offer God back to creation in order. They were created in the image of God so that when people saw Adam and Eve, where the, when that platypus saw Adam for the first time, he was seeing, in effect, a vision of God. So the study, I'm calling it for now, For the Beauty, Exploring the Art of Being Human, so the calling of, of human beings as priests, as kings, as co-regents under God's authority who are charged with the care and cultivation of the cosmos, as kinds of artists who offer creation back up to God in praise, and like I said, God's life back to the world in faithfulness. Of course, this calling of the universal priesthood is ultimately rejected by humanity, which will be part of the study, only to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This is a reality that we will be constantly before us in our endeavor, not only through our study, but in what I see as another essential piece of this, of this endeavor, which is the celebration of the Eucharist. So the study of the Bible and the celebration of the Eucharist. Because unless the Lord builds a house, the laborers labor in vain. We don't build the church, actually. Christ has established it, and through our participation in his life, we see it flourish and grow. So it is that for me, and I think I would say for Father Lee, communion is a non-negotiable in the effort, which of course for us means the presence of an ordained priest. Where's the presence of priests? As we'll see, we're all priests, but the presence of an ordained priest. So I do imagine, and I will even seek out other folks who can teach, who have been given that gift to delve into God's word and to bring the treasures out into the open for the community to share in and be built up by. And like our Evensong service at Baylor, my hope is that this will include clergy and laity alike, male and female voices. But I, or another priest, will have to be present for the Lord's Supper. 
I certainly have the capacity for this. This past year, I went down to Temple about once a month to preach and celebrate, and this will be a much easier drive. Though I, I wrote that before 35 went under construction. So it's, it's iffy, it's iffy. But what about if and when, you might ask, we do more than once a month meetings? Well, twice a month seems completely doable to me, since, uh, especially if others are teaching. Well, what about more than that? Well, that is a bridge to cross. As many of you know, I do have a job at Baylor, and as most of you know, I do love it and can't imagine doing it for years to come. And what I want you to know is that aside from a clear calling of God, I am not your rector or vicar or any other fun word that you can come up with. At best, I'm the priest in charge of this gathering. So what does that mean? That means a few things. One, I will not be able to handle pastoral counseling for everyone who comes through the doors of this venture. Crises, confessions, anointings, absolutely. Every struggle that is natural to the life of faith for every person, not possible. Not possible. That's not even possible for Father Lee. I hope we all know that. So not only must whoever joins in this be willing to care for one another, to share burdens and struggles, they must also be willing and ready to care for those less mature than they. St. Paul lays it out pretty obviously. The older men, they should tell the younger men, you know, they should disciple them. The older women, they should disciple the younger women as ministers. So, point of fact, I need you, or I need those of you who want to come with me on this journey. This doesn't work without other people who are committed. In fact, we are in the same boat, most of us. I have a full-time job. I have a family. I have a myriad of commitments. I'm not asking to be relieved of my job, but rather to be met in the pastoral duties that we often want to outsource to the person who preaches or wears a collar. I have only so much I can give, and you also are capable of giving. Like the monastics of old, or really the monastics of today, we have to share in the work, in life together, just as Brother Monk might spend his days making wine and an evening leading prayers, or Sister Nun may uh, give care of the children or of a garden while also being expected to teach the younger sisters, we also must imagine ourselves as such. Our lives of work, of raising children, and so on, are not antithetical to the calling of the priesthood of all believers. The best ministry, in fact, I think springs from the soil of our lives. But what if at some point you say, oh, we really need a vicar, though? I like the vicar word, so I'm going to keep using it. <laughs> what if there are so many people, so many needs, and it must be said, so much money, <laughs> that a full-time pastor is what this venture needs? Well, then I will be the first to help type up the job description. For the day may come when it's clear to any and all of us that this is a church plant or even another campus or something that requires someone's constant full-time attention. In that case, I'll gladly step aside while hoping to at least retain a once-a-month slot in the teaching rotation. But the beauty is that we don't have to make those decisions right now. This is a slow work. It's a slow because there's already a thriving parish in town to whom we belong. It's slow because I don't need insurance for my children or a salary that can cover my mortgage payment. It's slow because the things that are built, that, that last, are built with time and care. And Christchurch is an example of this. I mean, you could ask the Wallaces. You feel like we've shot up, right? Everyone who comes in, oh, you, what, you've been here two years and you're like shooting up. But we all know that there is long time of praying and seeking that, that went into Christchurch. Yeah, didn't fish. You guys know, right? It seems to us like we're just like, whoa, this thing showed up yesterday and it's already on top of the world. But I bet you can point to days or weeks or months where you felt like this thing's never going to happen at all. And it was a slow, quality yeah, yeah, Right. So this is the same thing. This is, we're not entering into anything different here. So finally, I would like to say something about Waco, since that's where we're planning a church and where you plant church matters, where you do a Bible study matters, where you go into the city to tell people about the gospel matters. It matters immensely. Context matters. And I've been thinking about, well, what is Waco? What is Waco? This city to which we belong. Well, if we were to look to culture, which 
which to be honest is where I look to get a lot of at least my first answers for things. I am a, after all, filmmaker, videographer. I do not despise the media, even if I despise its perversions. <laughs> what would the culture say is Waco? Well, at first, here's what they would say. It's the site of a terrible tragedy in the 1990s, built around two of the most destructive forces you can imagine, religious dominance and the powerful, oppressive arm of empire. And it's both, by the way. It's a house engulfed in flames, dancing across TV screens all around the world. It's as clear a picture of hell on earth as we've ever seen in this country, right here in Waco. And then there's more recently. More recently, it has become known as a place of restoration, the site of the difficult but joyful work of redeeming what was once considered lost, of finding beauty in rundown old houses and abandoned grain silos of all places. Regardless of all the implications of this cultural phenomenon, economic, social, so forth, we cannot deny the inherent goodness of having such a story in our culture, in a world so enamored with the new and the novel, to be told in such a clear voice that reclamation is a worthy pursuit. It may even be an answer to that first story, might it not? Many people, for a time, seemed content to write Waco off. Perhaps many still are. Can anything good come out of that place? Well, let those that with eyes see that, yes, Indeed, this is not a God-forsaken land. G.K. Chesterton once wrote that men did not love Rome because it was great, but Rome was great because men loved it. Of course, this latter story may get too close to imagining Waco as a heavenly country as the New Jerusalem on the Brazos. From my, from my favorite story of Waco, and many of you know this, is found in a film that dances on the line of popular culture. Brad Pitt's in it, so that counts enough for me to be popular. It's Terrence Malick's masterpiece, which pictures the Waco of Malick's childhood, the tree of life. And in this film, Waco is neither heaven nor hell but it stands in, in a way, for the entirety of the cosmos. It's a place wherein one may encounter God, but where one is just as likely to see Satan manifest in one's own sins or the sins of others. But it is a place where the divine constantly calls out through the live oak trees which reach up to heaven and the beauty which reaches down towards us, an invitation into a story bigger than this city, but nevertheless conjoined to it, a place where heaven and earth overlap. So we take all of these stories and we recall and we re-enter time and again the biblical story to seek a narrative of future hope in this place that we call home. I mentioned Chesterton a moment ago and I couldn't help but think, I just reread, well actually listened to Orthodoxy again and it's such a, such a wonderful book. But he writes this, he writes, a man varies in his movements because of some slight element of failure, fatigue. He gets into the bus because he's tired of walking or he walks because he's tired of sitting still. But his, his life and his joy were so gigantic that he never tired of going to Islington. He might go to Islington as regularly as the tame, Thames, Thames goes to Sheerness. He might, it might be true that the sun rises regularly because he's never got tired of rising. His routine might not be due to, a lifeless, to lifelessness, but to a rush of life. The thing I mean, he says, can be seen in children, and we'll all know this, either because we have them or we go to church with so many of them. When they find some game or joke that they especially enjoy, a child kicks his legs rhythmically through excess, not absence of life. Because children have abounding vitality, they are always in spirit, fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, and the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt a monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt a monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessities that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes da daisy, each daisy separately, but has never grown tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. This is such a good line. For we have sinned and grown old, 
and our father is younger than we. The repetition in nature may not be a mere occurrence. It may be a theatrical encore. So as we enter into this venture, and we're going to take some time right after this for questions, but I want to ask you to do a few things. I want to ask you to start praying every Sunday night at 4.30 p.m. until we begin meeting. It's just a minute. Set an alarm on your phone. Do whatever you need to do. If you miss it by a minute or two, that's fine. <laughs> no, I don't want any 4.33 prayers here. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to pray for something specific. As our parish, Christ Church Waco, goes about the good and necessary work of becoming more firmly established, more ordered, more equipped for the long life of a parish, well, here's what we're doing. We're setting out yet again into the waters of chaos. Not because we love chaos, but because that is where the Spirit delights to hover and to continue the work of new creation. Father Lee was talking about this morning in catechesis that the spirit is ever proceeding from the father. The father's always going about the work of creation. So we're going to follow the spirit there, anxiously anticipating seeing this work continue, yes, but also with the hope that we are the very sons and daughters of God that the creation is longing to see. So here's what we're doing. We're standing on the bow of the boat where the waters splash up, or perhaps we're those setting out in a smaller vessel seeking out drowning souls to bring them back to the ship. And as we go, we pray, and this is what I want you to pray. We cry out to God, do it again. Do it again. And we say this earnestly seeking him. We say, do it again. Save sinners from the storm. Restore families and people that are broken. Undo the mess that we've made in our lives and in our world. You have done it before. This is your story. So do it again. Do it again in my life. Do it again in the lives of those who desperately need you. Do it again in this city. Do it again in this nation. Do it again in this world. Renew, refresh, recreate. Restore us to our vocation as priests and kings. Do it Again, do it again, God. Build your church. Establish your kingdom. Wipe away all tears. Send every bit of chaotic water flying. Do it again through what we talked about this morning, the blood of the cross, through the power of the Spirit. Do it again. Do that which only you can do. Take our work unto yourself and fix your rest upon our backs. And do it again. And so the whole of creation finally understands the words of Jesus upon the cross. It is finished. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God ever working. That even your rest, God, is a kind of creation. That you invite us into your venture for this world. God, thank you that none of this depends on us on our cleverness, on our wit, on our bank accounts, on our brilliance. God, it is your work to build your church. It is your work. It is your work to recreate this world. And you joyfully do that in and through us. And we are not worthy of it, but you delight to do it. And so I ask that you would give us all strength Envision for the mission of your church, this mission out of Christ Church Waco, this mission to this city, this mission which is the very heart of our vocation, to bear your image to creation, to offer up this city in praise to you, God, but to also offer your life back to this world. And we ask that you alone would receive all the glory. And we ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we're going to sing a song here in a second, uh, but I did want to just, if there's, time, if there's any questions that I didn't answer, my, my hope was to answer as many as I could, but um, is, there some, is there, there's something, you know, anyone's wondering about? You might have already answered this, but is there, do you envision there is a time when you're still teaching this that um, it would increase more than once per month? Yes, um, yeah. So what I said, I think, was I definitely have the capacity to always to celebrate Eucharist 
you know, twice a month, easy. So if it was more than once a month, my hope would be that, okay, some of the teaching load has then been dispersed, um, which I, I, yeah, that's what I want anyways. But yeah, it, at that point I would say, okay, what's the, what are the giftings? What, you know, who do we have that can teach this? And um, yeah. But yeah, that would be my thing. And then, and then when we say, no, we got to meet every week. And I go, okay, uh, who, who are you hiring? <laughs> Yes. How will it look like Anglicanism, and how will it maybe look like an Anglicanism that Christ Church doesn't see? Okay, yeah, sure. Um, so I think that for one thing is, here's the great thing I'm going to tell anyone. If they show up and they're like, I wish we did all the liturgy perfectly and beautifully, and I'll say, that is, oh, do you not know? Have you not heard? There's a place at 10.30 a.m. every Sunday. <laughs> And the liturgy is celebrated beautifully and wonderfully. And I don't have, it's a lot of work. You know this, you oversee our acolytes. I mean, those of you, it is a lot of work to do what happens on Sunday mornings. So as much as it's like, oh, let's have some different flavors or influences, it's also, let's be practical. I mean, all the vestments, all the incense, all the candles, all the time, like it takes work. And that's why I'm saying, I think the beauty of this is that it's coming out of a parish that's already existing and flourishing. So that if anyone says, I like that you do this much liturgy, I wish you did more, I say, I got the place for you. Um, and so I think that it will, so basically the Anglican service, we don't draw a lot of attention to this, but it is the service of the word and the table, and they're two different things. Now, this is why you see sometimes Roman Catholics rolling in just for the mass. They technically made it in time for the service. They're not there for the service of the word, but they're there for the service of the table. And I think the service of the table, uh, I, we might do less liturgy, but it will still be the service of the table. It would not be in any way an un-Anglican celebration of the Eucharistic feast. The service of the word, I think, will look different. I don't even know if I would call it that. I would, I would hesitate to call it that. So Father Lee said when Christchurch was begun, uh, it was sort of like catechesis and now service of the table. So for me, I would say Bible study and now service of the table. And we may work in a little bit of service of the word so that you, okay, we're going to do the reading of the gospel or something. But to me, it would look a little more stripped down, part of the nature of it, right? I mean, if you think about Wesley out there in the field, he's probably not in his cassock, you know, because he's on a horse, right? And I think, so I think it's, it's out of the necessity of also being out in the, in the reality uh, but not out of denial of the beauty of it. But I would think, you know, guitar and some hymns like we're doing tonight and, um, and that the Bible study would be, uh, you wouldn't even necessarily call it liturgy. That would be my, I would not want to say, we're doing the service of the word and then be held to that standard. Um, now, if there's a point where you say, hey, we need to do the service of the word and it's still going to look a little bit different than Christchurch Waco, I think that's another discussion. But this is Bible study with Eucharist. It's not a full Anglican service. I would say that. Yes. So, um, I was wondering if you could tell us is a little bit like back up just a tad yes. before you know um, you've been forming some of the structure in your mind or yeah. inviting us into um, what what kind of promptings from the Spirit conversations maybe with the clergy or whatever mm -hmm. else, could you kind of just open that up for us as part of your narrative of sure. how the Lord drew you? To be sitting right here saying things, yeah. Uh, well, you know, when we first got to Christchurch, there was this, uh, I was like, okay, there was this talk of a church plant. And I was like, oh, are we going to do this? And then I think the building came up, and the building was such a necessary uh, focus of our attention and I, I mean, a beautiful, wonderful, great thing that we have a building, right? Uh, that there is a ship and that we're not all just going to be in dinghies. Uh, <laughs> but Father Lee, didn't, mentioning boats, it was Father Lee's sermon. I don't remember when this was. This was just in the new year. And I remember I just felt the spirit stirring. He was preaching from Peter's conversion uh, where there's too many fish. There's too many fish. And he says, notice what happens, though. They don't throw any back. They call for another boat. Mm -hmm. They call for another boat, and they say, come over, help us. 
we got to get all these fish. We're not going to throw any back. And he was saying, we need another boat. And then Father Lee said, we need another boat. Now, he didn't say anything more than that. But I was sitting in the pew going, oh, crap. <laughs> I'm, I may have something to do with that other boat. Um, I felt that stirring there. And that was right before Lent. And so what I told Catherine was, hey, let's take Lent and not talk to anyone about this, but let's pray about it and seek to discern whether or not this was just, I felt convicted in a sermon and now I need to let it roll off my back or no, that was, that was the spirit doing that work. And so we took Lent and we prayed, you know, I got away some and prayed and then I brought it to Father Lee and my bishop and they both said, yes. And I was like, well, that's all I need, I guess. If Father Lee and my bishop are both excited. And Father Lee was very, I mean, you know, you know, when you go talk to Father Lee, I mean, I think so many of us have had this where you just think he's going to like tell you like how, you know, you're not doing something right. And then he's the most missional person in the world. He's like, who cares if you're doing it right? If Jesus is involved in the work, it's the right work, right? Um, and so I was very comforted and just sort of felt enlivened by that, that he was... I think he wants, he wants there to be something. I think he feels this need for Christ Church to give life. And then there's the reality, too, of sort of my, I'm different than the other priests, right? I'm not here for a PhD. Um, I'm trying to avoid one as much as Catherine, Catherine can. But I'm not here for that, right? I'm not, this is not what brought me, and I'm not seeking a uh, tenured position afterwards at some university somewhere else. That's not the goal of our time here. Um, and so I think part of me recognizing that, that there's a need for what, where am I being sent, where am I being called to? And I've told Father Lee that um, in the Anglican Church, you're supposed to have a curacy, which means that after seminary, you're supposed to go spend three years working in a church as a priest. And uh, that's how you learn to be a priest. I mean, it's, it's almost untenable financially at this point. Hey, go spend three years in seminary and then spend three years, you know, being a priest and then go to that wonderful, big, cushy job you've got waiting for you, right? But I've, I realize at Christchurch what I have is a, I found an accidental curacy uh, where, oh, well, I got to learn all these things about being a priest um, and really just a wonderful gift. But, you know, there is like a time limit on a curacy. It's usually about three years, so you can go up to five. And I'm hitting three years in February. And I think it's just time. I'm like, okay, there's time that I'm not, not that I have nothing more to learn. And clearly, I'm still in community at Christ Church. Father Lee's still a huge help and mentor to me in ministry. But I'm like, okay, I'm not a curate anymore, right? Like, I've done the Eucharist. I've heard confession. I've anointed the sick. I've given last rites. Like, now is the time that, that I've been formed in a way to do something. And um, coming out of a church planning diocese, which I do, um, this seems the most, it just seems right to do. And I think there are people in Waco who need this, this who need the gospel, basically, um, and who will find the gospel, who would find it appealing in such a, a way as this. So I'm just excited to teach the Bible, too. I mean, I spent three years learning how to, read the Bible, and honestly, 20 minutes once every fourth, fifth Sunday is just not enough. I want to get in there and, like, go through the Bible. I mean, it's really, that's what we're finding. We've got statistics on Baylor students. I work in the spiritual life department. Only 40% of Baylor students, and this is Baylor students. These are technically, you know, probably come at least from a Christian background. Only 40% of Baylor students spend at least an hour in the Word a month. A month. Like you're on the upper percent. You're doing good. If you sat down for 30 minutes one Thursday and then two Thursdays later you sat down for another 30 minutes and read the Bible. And I mean that's that's saddens me and I don't understand it. I mean I think I miss this gap of not being taught the Bible or not being shown how beautiful and necessary the Bible is. So I think that's another part of it. And I think that I wouldn't say it's, I, I think it's a gap. I think it's a gap we can fill in in the life of Christ Church to say, we're going to study the Bible. We're going to go deep. Um, and so I think that's, that's another thing about it that I'm just, I'm excited. I mean, when I start thinking about the story of scripture and what God 
the story God is telling through it and the way he's used that story to change lives, I mean, it's the greatest story ever told. It's the best. Yeah, you know, if you don't read it, you can think it's just okay, but as soon as you start reading it, you realize it's way wilder and more beautiful than you could ever imagine and more troubling and you never walk away feeling too good about yourself (laughs) or you're reading it wrong. Right. But then they all left and mm. followed Christ. Right. What happened to the fish? Yeah. But they're But they haul they them in, followed, so yeah. But they followed Christ. Right. And that's what I hear in your heart is I am following Christ yeah. in the next steps. Right. And there's all these loose details and those aren't necessarily for us to figure out. Yeah. Your next step is I want to teach the Bible. Yeah. So you're going there. Yeah, I would feel much more pressure. Yeah, I'd feel much more pressure if like Christchurch didn't exist to be like, we got to figure this out. We got three years, you know, we got this timeline, but I'm like, I mean, the beauty of coming out, this is what the church should do, right? Established churches should build up new, new ventures. They should always be giving their life. That's what God does all the time, right? He's never like, okay, I've given enough of myself away. I mean, uh, Father Lee again was teaching catechesis this morning about how uh, Augustine's sermon on the Lord's Prayer always, you know, teaching about saying our Father and that Christ is on the cross always saying, you have room for one more? You want another kid? Um, And God never says, no, gosh, no, I've got enough, you know, (laughs) like, um, so I think that, yeah, that whole like, God's just always giving himself away. And I think the beauty of belonging to Christ Church is we have things to give away now. You know, from the lectionary today, we, you and I were talking about how we transferred the feast of the Holy Cross, which I was thrilled that we did. Yeah. But, but the lectionary, the normal lectionary for today was about the lost sheep or the lost mm. coin, to your point. Yeah. You know, just getting that one more person. Um, right. So, um, yeah. That's what, that's what Christ is about. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. couple of observations. One, as I was listening to you and reflecting on our mission as a church, um, it occurred to me that I tend to read our mission uh, to plant churches and college towns and communities in terms of over there. Mm. But why not apply that mission to why why doesn't it apply? Right. And then secondly, um, at Christchurch 101 a couple weeks ago, somebody asked what we were doing for local missions. And that that question caught my attention because we don't really have a well-formed vision for local mission. And I was, as I was praying through that question and looking at our five or four um, tenets for international mission, one of the things, our, our last point, is that we intend to be a multicultural church, mm. so we reflect the nations uh, in Revelation. Right. And I really could see this being another portal for the entry of the nations in, mm. into Christ's church, whether it becomes another church plan or not, that's sure. secondary, but it really seems to me to be a very um, very viable and very accessible portal mm-hmm. for, um, for the nations. I would love that, yeah. That. Yeah, I would love that. I mean, to worship, yeah, I mean, the goal of worship is to worship as, as the worship is in heaven, mm-hmm. right, and especially at the end of the age. Uh, joining our voices with angels, archangels, all the company of heaven. When we say all the company of heaven, if we picture only a bunch of white people, we've got a really bad, you know, we've got a bad spot that we can't see over someone's shoulder or something. The, all the company of heaven, right, that we're thinking of millions and millions of, of people from all around the world, you know. I mean, you think of the, the Ethiopian eunuch, I mean, is probably leading a choir somewhere up there, you know, this this... The beauty of being joined together in this, I think that's absolutely, absolutely crucial. Yeah. So one of the things that um, to me seems like a, an opportunity, um, though I personally love the formality of worship 
for people who um, don't identify with that kind of formality in worship um, mm -hmm. from a very traditional sense. Is this the kind of entree into Anglicanism that would appear less formal? I th yeah, I mean, even like down in Temple, you know, when I was asked to go down to Temple and like, I, here's, here's one of the things. I think Father Lee is of such a mind of if we have all the beautiful things, why would we not use them? Uh, reverence is never off the table, right? I mean, we're never going to say like, yeah, it's all good. We're just worshiping God here. And it's like, man, imagine the high priest hearing that one, you know, as he ties himself up to go into the Holy of Holies, hoping that he doesn't die. Whatever. It's all good. Like, <laughs> oh no, there's a holy reverence. Um, I think that has a multiplication of, I mean, that's why I love Anglicanism, right? This is why I'm an Anglican, is because there is the beauty of the fullness of saying Catholic and evangelical and charismatic and all of it. I mean, and there's a fittingness, right? And we have a fittingness in, in the First Lutheran, <coughs> our building. There's a fittingness to the way we worship there that may not be fitting in every space, um, and I, I think of the, I mean, you just got to think about remembering the, the disciples worshiping wherever they could, doing the Eucharist in upper rooms, you know, in whatever clothes they, they happened to have. I mean, they were still robes, so I guess we should keep those. I don't know. But that's the beauty of we want to be reverent and we want it to be fitting. Um, and I think that but I think there's a breadth of that. And I think Anglicanism shows that. And I think of like, I don't know. I mean, I always kind of imagine myself like how wonderful would it be to, to be some like uh, some Irish monk hidden away in some kirk somewhere, you know. And like we don't have this huge cathedral, but we've got a little stone building. What do you think Francis of Assisi, which Father Lee brings up all the time? There's a difference to St. Francis's worship and the worship that happens in the cathedral, Right. I mean, it's really weird that they put Francis's little chapel now in the cathedral. It almost seems, I mean, it's, I guess it's convenient, but it almost seems wrong. Because the point is, God's multifaceted. God allows his worship, his people to worship him in, in a multitude of ways. And so for me, I would say, yes, there are people who would go, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't even know what's going on. Um, and I think this might even be an on-ramp, right? Because some people might come in and be like, I could never do the smells and bells on Sunday morning. But after a year here, they may be like, I want more smells. I want more bells, right? Like, and I think that's the beauty. And then maybe there are people from Christchurch who say, can we go here? And I think it could be giving life to each other. It's like the orange in the tree, right? Like, that's what I meant. Unity and dis there, there's unity in the diversity. It's not all about like, well, you know, this is the right kind of tree and that's the wrong kind of tree. It's, this is an orange and this is a leaf, you know, and they're part of the same organism. And as long as that, the life is the life of God, the life source is the life of God, the life of Jesus who builds his church. Yeah, I mean, that's the, you know, the rubrics are, they're wider and, and more easily interpreted than we might imagine. Um, while there has to be, yeah, you know, a priest is going to celebrate the Eucharist. Um, there will, I will at least give a little bow at this point. You know, there's not going to be just pure, like, happy-go-lucky. Um, and partially, it's built into me now. Father Lee is like, I, I did have this moment at the diocesan, not the, the uh, pro provincial assembly with all the Anglicans. I felt really good. I told the person to tell Father Lee afterwards, because I was sitting in front of some people, and afterwards they said, you must have been in a Shota house because you knew when to bow at all the right times. <laughs> and I said, please go tell my rector immediately that, and I will be sure to be uh, on his good list for sure. So, but yeah, to me, I think, I think it will look different. And I think what Father Lee has always pushed back against when people say, let's plant an evangelical church or this church, is he's always said, see who shows up. And don't try to plant a church for people who aren't there and who aren't interested. And then part of it has to do with I can only lead out of so much of what I have. And I'm not a cradle Episcopalian. I'm not a Neshot. I'm not a son of the house, as they say, um, even if I can fool a few people. I, I'm a, I went to Fuller. I'm an evangelical Anglican, right? Like, this is who I am. But then there are things that have been built into me. So I think it will look, I don't think, I would not want it to say, 
I would not want anyone to go, that didn't come off that tree at all. I would say that. I would never want someone to go, well, that just, I, that's the strangest thing I've ever seen. But I would be fine with someone who goes, well, that's kind of orange. And Christchurch is kind of green. I'd be like, yeah, it's fine. Except not orange because that's Clemson or UT. And so <laughs> either way, we're in trouble. Yeah. I have one last question. All right. You're good. Um, I don't think everybody, including myself, knows really your background and what led you to being an Anglican priest. Sure. Um, I know there was a bar involved somewhere, but I don't remember. A bar? Uh, Probably. <laughs> well, it, I always tell people the short story is I grew up Southern Baptist and I was told don't drink, smoke, or trust Catholics. Now read mere Christianity. <laughs> and then I looked at the back of the book and I like started doing some digging on this guy's life and he's like, he drinks and smokes with the Catholics and then he becomes a Christian. That's like kind of his whole story, right? So I'll take, I'll take his version, you know. Uh, that's my short version in Anglicanism. Uh, I grew up Southern Baptist and then was non-denominational for a while. Uh, really great churches, not mad at any of the churches I belong to, uh, very formed in good ways by each of them, but always sort of looking for something different, always looking for a valuing of beauty, not purely as a utilitarian aim, um, not merely a, uh, well, we can hide a message inside this beautiful package and then we can get people to be Christians. And, and, and so that was, that was sort of the only imagination I grew up with in my sort of biggie evangelical world. Uh, and so Anglicanism was appealing to me. And I don't know, I always, I always liked the middle ground. <laughs> I always liked the, why, wait, 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 do we have to get rid of this or that? Like I said, my grandmother was United Methodist. That was as close as I got to touching Anglicanism early on. When we went to seminary, I really knew I wanted to belong to denomination. Uh, I knew and have seen that I have certain traits that can be really problematic if I'm not held in check. Uh, my strength finders could start a cult, I think. I've, <laughs> I've seen that. I've like ended up doing art. You know, I've ended up with like people making a film with me, like 20 people in the desert, and I look around. We're like miles from a hospital. I go, why are you all here? I mean, I kind of feel that right now. <laughs> what are you all doing here? Oh, I said we would do something, and you're all standing in this living room. Um, and so I realized some order would be really good for me. Um, somebody who could say, you know, I mean, I see so much. There's problems with, with bishops. I do think it's the order that God gave us. There's problems with everything. And God gave us the world, and we make a muck of that, Right. Um, but the problem with sort of the evangelical leader who then gets a bunch of yes men and women around him mm -hmm. and has no authority over him or her to say, you're out, you're on the bench, um, that, that was something that appealed to me because I know my own sinfulness and weakness. Uh, but, but really it was because we were invited to plant a church. Uh, so we were in seminary and uh, some friends of ours who we'd met said, will you come plant this Anglican church with us? And it made the most sense for us to do that. And so we did it. And the next thing I know... So it was that your C.S. Lewis professor... It was my C.S. Lewis professor. It is Lewis's fault. Lewis's yeah. fault. <laughs> it continues to be Lewis's fault. Yeah. Lewis's professor said to this guy who's planting a church, I think Matt Autry's interested in Anglican. Yeah. But he'd never had that... I never said that to my about. professor. And then I asked him later why he said that. And he said, I have no memory of it. Uh, but he's the one who kind of passed me off to this guy planting a church. Uh, and yeah, I mean, being able, to, being able to see it, Catherine, I always say, is more incarnational than me. Um, I, I can convince, I can read something and be like, I'm a Thomas now. Like, I agree with everything St. Thomas wrote. And Catherine's like, no, you're not. You just read a book and like you, uh, and so like, I was like, red Anglican, I'm an Anglican. And she's like, we're not Anglicans. We're, we're going to a free Methodist church. What are you talking about? Um, and then being in the church and Catherine saying, hey, like, it's a, you can't say I'm an Anglican until you're in an Anglican church, right? And I think that was important for our family to just be a part of a church plant. And seeing the, the ways that, yeah, the things that could be valued in, in Anglicanism it just made sense to me. It all just clicked. The liturgy clicked. Um, 
the beauty that not merely as a tool to sneak in some, some message. Um, I mean, when you find yourself only, you know, I'm reading into you, right? Oh, that guy's great. John Golden Gay is my favorite professor at seminary. He's a Church of England priest. When, once you start to be like, well, these are just my people. Uh, these are just my people. And especially in the arts community, uh, someone like David Taylor, who's coming here next month, uh, he's, he's uh, ordained in my diocese and I kind of have a man crush on him. And, you know, it's just like, that guy's Anglican. I'm being Anglican. But then we sat down with my bishop, Bishop Todd Hunter, who comes out of the vineyard, who comes out of more evangelical, low church. And it's just the most, I mean, he's like the pastor's pastor. Um, and he's just going to sit across from you and say, what's up? You know, it's not, if God wants you to be an Anglican, you're going to be an Anglican. That's what I, when I called him up to be like, oh, what's the bishop going to say? How do I say this? I'm like, I think maybe I'm supposed to plant a church, not be a rector. Oh, he's going to say something. And he's like, well, Matt, if if God wants you to plant a church, he's just going to, he's just going to use you to do it. And there's nothing you can do about it. (laughs) And it's, he uncomplicates everything. And so I think, I mean, for Catherine, that was a really important meeting. And for me to, to sit across from someone and them say, this is a way to follow Jesus. It's not the only way. I mean, it's a good way. We got a good track record. We got a bad track record, too. What was that? Uh, Russell Moore said at the, at the provincial assembly, he, says, he said, I don't know why Anglicans talk about the Via Medea. <laughs> Because I've never met a mediocre Anglican. He's like, it's either C.S. Lewis or John Shelby Sprong. Like, you've got no one in between, it seems to me. Everyone's, he's, he's either got, you've got the best or the worst all in your midst. He's like, he's like, it's either you've got John Stott or you've got Henry V. You don't have anyone, anyone in, the, in, the, in between. Uh, Henry VIII, yeah, so. Um, yeah, Henry V, I don't know, I love that play. So I don't, once more into the breach. Yeah. Too bad Luann was gone for my one Shakespeare reference. <laughs>